Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. So grace and peace to you this morning from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In our house growing up, my sisters and I always got a couple of scratch-off lottery tickets for Christmas. Uh, it was my mom who would get them for us. And the first couple of years she did it, we were pretty excited about it. I think in our minds, we thought we were going to win a lot of money, right? Uh, but what we started to notice is over time, the most any of us would win was like 10 to $15. Uh, which that was fun, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't anything to be super excited about. And so my senior year of high school, we got them again. They're always in our stockings, and that year in particular was just kind of a crazy morning. Uh, both my sisters were home from college, so we were catching up with them. I was also heading out the next day for a church camp, so I had to pack. And so with everything going on, I don't know why I did this, but I ended up scratching off just one of the two tickets. Uh, so then I go to Hume Lake. It's up in the Sequoias. I'm there for a week. I come back, and all of a sudden, my truck, I had this 1994 F-150. It was the old family truck, but you see, when I got home, it had a new cover on the back. If you're familiar with what's called the tonneau cover, it just covers the bed of your truck, right? And the thing is, my mom had been saying she was going to get me one for my birthday on February 1st. Uh, but when I was away, she decided to get it for me early. And on top of that, she got me a much nicer one than we had planned. In fact, it was probably the nicest tonneau cover that I had ever seen. So I am looking at this and I am thinking, holy cow, mom, this is incredibly generous. I absolutely love it. I am so thankful. Where did you get the money for this? Maybe you can guess where. Uh, so apparently, right after I left to go to the camp, 
My mom and sisters were cleaning up from Christmas. They noticed I hadn't scratched off one of my lottery tickets. And so like any good family would do, they just went ahead and did it for me. And it turns out that sitting beneath that little thin layer of scratch-off material was a square indicating that I had won $2,000. And so they are telling me this, like, Garrett, congratulations! And at first I thought, wow, yeah, I won $2,000, that's great! But then I started thinking, and I'm like, wait a second, you guys spent it? (laughs) And I realized they spent it on me, but they spent it on something I was already supposed to get. I felt so gypped. But you see, here's the thing. If you just erase what they did, that's not the reason I'm sharing this, uh, but if I can just think back to that Christmas morning, it's funny to me to think that I had something so valuable in my hands, but I just didn't realize it. I literally left that thing laying on the ground in our living room, and so even though it was in my hands, and even though it was supposed to be mine, and even though it was worth a lot of money, it was of no benefit. And I think a lot of things are like that, where you have to get beneath the surface in order to know what something is worth. A lot of great books are like that, for instance. A lot of beautiful painting or artwork is like that. And I would even say a lot of people are like that. Deep down, everyone has this incredible dignity and value, right? And yet you've got to get beneath the surface to know that. So as I mentioned as I welcomed you to worship this morning. Uh, on the church calendar, we're starting a season that's called Epiphany. And what Epiphany is about is when Jesus came, he was this incredibly valuable gift that God had given to the world. So valuable. And yet the problem was almost no one realized what was really there. In fact, at first glance, not a single person could see the benefit of Jesus. It's not exactly readily apparent. And so the only way to know it is to have an epiphany. You see, an epiphany is just a realization of the truth about something. And so in order to benefit from the gift of Christ, what it takes is a realization of the truth about him. So we're going to go to the passage in a second. But first, just for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at different epiphanies that people have. Uh, throughout the Bible, where they come to know the identity of Jesus and see the value of knowing him. Uh, So today we're looking at the epiphany of the Magi, and the question is, how did the Magi have this epiphany in regards to Jesus? In other words, how did they go from being really far from Jesus and not really knowing who he is, to being incredibly close to Jesus and knowing precisely who he is? If we jump into the passage, the first part of their journey, we're going to go step by step through it, but the first part of their journey is there was a star that was leading them. So you may remember this, just a couple weeks ago, there was what everyone was referring to as the Christmas star, right? It was up in the sky, it was the night of December 21st, and what it was, it actually wasn't a star at all, it was Jupiter and Saturn coming really close together, and when they come really close together, it makes it look like one really bright star. Now, I went outside I didn't see it. Uh, Maybe you did. But apparently this happens just once every 400 years. And so what a lot of people have said is this, this is the same phenomenon that led the Magi to Jesus. And actually, time-wise, it kind of works out. Apparently one of the times that this happened was right around 7 BC. So people are saying, "That's that's what happened. And so you hear people say, this is what led the Magi to Jesus. Now, I don't know about that. Uh, Maybe that's true. Maybe it was something else. But either way, 
The question that I think our passage begs is how come only the Magi followed it? Whatever this light was, why, it was, why was it only the Magi that followed it? If it's a star in the sky, you could assume that everyone had the chance to see it. And yet, how come it was just one small group of people that got led to Jesus by it? I think there's a specific reason. See, when it comes to Magi, what they were is they were, quote-unquote, seekers of wisdom. In fact, the translation we use for the reading is from the ESV, and it refers to them as wise men. It doesn't even call them magic. It calls them wise men, and the Greek word they're translating is magos, or magi, right? It's actually where we get the word magic. You could even say it's the word magician. You see, the magi weren't magicians in the way that you and I typically think of that word. More so, they were like philosophers, not just kind of like academic philosophers who are kind of weird, but they were just ordinary people who believed there was something more to life. That's the kind of philosophers they were. And so like all philosophers, they were always trying to figure out the meaning of things. They wanted to know how to live their life. They wanted to know the truth about this world that they live in. They wanted to know if there's a God and if there is, what he is like. And so in order to figure that out, what the Magi would do is they would reflect on natural phenomena. So, for example, they would look up in the sky and study the stars was one of the things they did. And the thing about this is that sounds, at least in my mind, that sounds kind of weird to us. If you think about it, like, why would you look at the stars if you want to know how to live your life? That's just weird. And we see the only reason it sounds weird to us is ever since the Enlightenment, this would be the 1700s, almost everyone in the Western world started seeing nature in a particular way. Uh, namely, we started seeing it as just a bunch of mechanical processes. It's Newtonian physics, right? Uh, everything is just cause and effect. There is no message or meaning behind any of it. And so that is pretty much how all of us think now. And yet, back in the day, no one thought that. Religious or irreligious, it didn't matter. They did not think that way. In fact, what everyone used to think was that natural phenomenon could actually communicate supernatural truths. In other words, if you go out in nature and you let yourself actually have a sense of wonder about the physical world, what you're going to find is that it is, in fact, communicating something. Or maybe more accurately, it is pointing us to something. At least that's what people like the Magi used to believe. And in fact, that's what the Bible itself believes. Now, just to give two examples from Scripture, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Meaning you look at the sky at night, it is pointing you to the glory of God. Or Romans 1 is the other one. It says, the created world communicates something about its creator. So again, natural phenomena are communicating supernatural truths. And so if you go back to the Magi, they were looking up at the stars. And remember, the reason they were doing that is they wanted wisdom. They wanted to know how to live. They wanted to know if there was a God. And if there was a God, they wanted to know what he was like. And the thing is, if you look at the stars, first of all, they are beautiful. 
but also, second of all, even when everything in the world goes dark, the stars still shine. In fact, the darker it is in this world, the brighter and more beautiful the stars become. And you see, this one night in particular, as they were looking up at the sky, there was a star that was brighter than all the others. The quote-unquote Christmas star. In fact, it was probably the brightest, most beautiful star they had ever seen. And the thing is, they would have taken that as a message. It wasn't random. It was saying something to them. Namely, that there is some sort of light in this world that no darkness can overcome. Put that differently, there is some sort of goodness in this world that no evil can undo. And since this is the brightest, most beautiful star ever, it must be pointing us to the brightest, most beautiful truth ever. And so they follow the star to see what it's pointing them to. And where does it take them? It takes them to Jesus. And what that is saying is this is the light that no darkness can overcome. This is the life that you were made to live. This is the God that you have always wanted to know. And so as they were always kind of guessing at what the natural world was saying to them, now they could see it. It was being revealed. The creator was becoming part of his creation. What everything was pointing them to was this Jesus. And that is what they were realizing. But you see, if you step back in order to get there first, what it took was actually getting out in nature and A, having a sense of wonder in regards to the world that we live in, and B, letting the God who created this world use it to point us to Jesus. Let's go to the second thing. Now, before I mention what it is, kind of try to illustrate it, I want you to imagine that you're incredibly stressed out. And maybe you don't have to imagine that at all. You already are stressed out. Uh, but let's just say you have way too much on your plate, you don't have enough time to get it all done, you just feel like you're living under a ton of pressure. Uh, so that's the bad news of the illustration. But the good news is, you have this friend who really cares about you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He is a really good friend. He's always been there for you. And the thing is, he actually owns a vacation home up in Lake Tahoe. Uh, it's right on the edge of the lake. It's this big, beautiful log cabin. It's got wall-to-wall glass looking out on the water. It's probably the most peaceful setting in the world. You go to bed at night there and any care that you have just gets washed away by the sound of little waves lapping against the shore. And so this friend, what he says to you is he just wants you to go. He's going to take care of everything you leave behind. You don't have to worry about a thing. You can just go and everything that has been weighing you down, he's going to handle it. So he hands you the directions to the house. GPS won't get you there. It's not on the map or whatever. So they're handwritten directions and what you do is you take them and you say, that sounds incredible. I would love that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hang on to these directions. I'm just going to put them in my pocket, never going to let go of these directions. To which he says, wait a second. Aren't you going to go? I don't know. I mean, I would love to. But how about I just study the directions first? No, dude, they're not that complicated. In fact, they will make a lot more sense 
once you start following them. I don't know. I don't really like change. And don't get me wrong, I'm dying on the vine. I feel like I'm on the edge of a nervous breakdown. But it just doesn't seem to be the right timing at this point. But those directions, I'm really happy to have them. Don't get me wrong. In fact, even just having them gives me the sense that someday, maybe I'll have a sense of peace. To which he says, buddy, that's not the point of the directions. You don't just hang on to them. You don't just study them. No, if you really want to have peace, you've got to follow them. So just to put this out there, do you agree with the friend? Uh, The point of the directions is to follow them, is it not? Okay, so the follow-up question is, do we? I don't know. You see in our passage, some people do and some people don't. Now, the second part of the journey for the Magi is God leads them to Jerusalem. This is while they're still following the star. And before they get to Jesus, who's in Bethlehem, God takes them to Jerusalem. And you see, that's because what's in Jerusalem is the people of God, and not like the people themselves are anything special, uh, but they have something special. Namely, they have the directions. That's the Bible, the scriptures. And you see, the whole Bible is just pointing us to Jesus. All of it is really just saying, here's who he is. Here's what he gives you. Here's how to find him. Here are different turns you need to make in order to realize the goodness of his grace. And so when the Magi get to Jerusalem, they are given these directions on how to get to Jesus. And yet the irony is, so many people there have the directions already, and they're not doing anything with them. In fact, not a single person in Jerusalem is following them. Do they have them in their hands? Yes. Do they they study them religiously? Yes. Do they think that maybe someday they will have the peace that God has promised? Yes. But that peace has come, and the question is, why aren't they moving? In other words, why aren't they repenting from the things that are keeping them from Christ? Why aren't they trusting the things that God himself has promised? Why aren't they following the word that is giving them crystal clear clear directions to the life that they have always wanted? It doesn't make any sense. And so later on in Jesus' ministry, right towards the end of the Gospels, he ends up lamenting over the people of Jerusalem. And what he says about them is, if only you had known the things that make for peace. And even though you have the directions in your hands of how to find peace, namely that is it is me, that it's in knowing my grace, living my life, even though the whole Bible is pointing you to that, you're not following it. And so that's why you don't have peace in your life. So why would anyone ever just have or even study directions but not follow them that's the question right why would you do that in the passage it's pretty simple it's because they do not trust them it says when they hear heard about jesus herod and all the people of jerusalem it quote unquote troubled them which means they viewed jesus not as a gift that would finally give them peace but as a threat who would take away their freedom. 
And so they just put the directions in their pocket. Whereas what the Magi did with them is they followed them. It's that simple. And what they found as they followed them is the message of the Bible is true. It is utterly true. That God is not just an all-powerful God who rules the universe, although he is that, but he is also an incredibly kind friend who wants to relieve you of your burdens. That he has revealed himself in this person named Jesus and then with every little wave of his grace, each of your worries can be washed away. But again, the only way to find that out is to take the direction seriously and actually get on the road of obedience. Let's go to the third thing. Uh, So the Magi so far, they have followed the star. That's the first thing. They have trusted the word. That's the second. And now what they do is they worship the Savior as they come into his presence. And the way they do this is they give him these very particular gifts, which we're going to get to in a second. Uh, One thing about me, you can ask pretty much anyone who knows me, I am a really bad gift giver. Uh, I don't know what it is, I just tend to give gifts that aren't very good. Uh, So a couple years ago, I had this aha moment. It was one of the first Valentine's Days that Christy and I ever had together as a married couple. And so on the day of, I found myself standing in line at CVS. And yes, I really did buy my Valentine's gift that year at CVS. Uh, So I'm in line. I've got a box of Russell Stover chocolates in one hand and a $2 teddy bear in the other. And I look around, and truth be told, there are tons of men who are there doing the same thing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we are so lame. What are we doing? And so what hit me in that moment is when it comes to giving a gift, it's not really about the gift per se. What it's really about is the message that it sends. You see, the thing about gifts is they are a way of telling someone what they mean to us. Uh, Which is why the CVS teddy bear was not exactly a hit that year. Uh, But if we go back to our passage, the Magi give Christ these very particular gifts, and each of these gifts is conveying what he means to them. So it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I just want to briefly run through those. Uh, Gold was always given to kings. That's the first gift. It was always given to kings. In fact, the only person you would give gold to would be someone who's going to reign over you. And so by giving Jesus gold, what are they saying? They're saying, reign over us. You are our king. We want you on the throne of our hearts. Second gift was frankincense. And frankincense was typically used in religious services. And in particular, a a priest would burn frankincense as they prayed. And the smoke rising up was supposed to be symbolic of the prayers of the people rising up to God. And so by giving Jesus frankincense, what they are saying is pray for us. You're not just going to be our king, you're also going to be our priest. Meaning you're going to reconcile us to God. And so finally there was myrrh. That was the last gift. And myrrh was this ointment that was typically used for burial of all things. Uh, You would wrap a dead body in myrrh so that it did not decay as rapidly. It was kind of a way of showing care for the body. And so Jesus is given myrrh when he is born. Which is a little weird. (laughs) 
as a gift. Uh, but you see, he, get, he gets it again later in the Gospels. Specifically, he gets it right after he dies. They're just about to bury him. They wrap his body in myrrh. And so myrrh bookends the life of Jesus, gets it at his birth, gets it at his death. And so what are the Magi saying, you could ask, when they give him myrrh? What they're saying is you're not just our king, you're not just our priest, you are also our sacrifice. It is by your grace that we are going to get healed. It is by your death that we get new life. And so again, they are communicating what they see in the face of Jesus. And what they see in the face of Jesus is a law that can set them free. That's the gold. And what they see in the face of Jesus is a love that can make them whole. That's the frankincense and the myrrh. And so what they are realizing is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they have ever needed. So what they do in his presence is they bow down, meaning they surrender their lives. Because they had had an epiphany. So just to recap how they got there, and close this up. The way they got to Jesus was by following the star, because the natural world points us to supernatural truths. Uh, They got there by trusting the word, because the directions don't lie. And the destination is great. And finally, they got there by worshiping the Savior. Because he is the perfect king for imperfect people. Or you could say the perfect priest for those who need grace. That's what the Magi realized. The only question is, do you realize how much that he loves you? So let's pray as our worship team comes forward. Father God, from the beginning, you have put inside the human heart a desire for yourself. And God, you've pointed us to to who you are through this world that you've created and you've also told us how to find you through the scriptures that you have authored. And God, you have even revealed yourself clearly in this person named Jesus. And yet in spite of all this, sometimes it's just a lot easier to stay put in life. To be distant from you in spite of the fact that we don't have peace about it at all. And so, Father God, we just pray that you would guide us on that path of peace. Uh, That you would help us to realize that you are totally trustworthy and ultimately that we would spend our lives at the feet of Jesus. Uh, God, don't let us be fools in this life. But instead, make us wise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this and all God's people said, Amen.